this Friday. It's next Friday. It's uh, 6 p.m. at the Prevet home. The address is there. There's going to be chili, soups, desserts, and s'mores. I had to read that a couple times because I thought it just said and more, but it says and s'mores. But there's going to be more too, um, so it's confusing to me, but I'm not invited, so I'm not super worried about my confusion. But uh, what you need to do is get the QR code and register uh, so they know how many people they need to get food and s'mores for. Um, bring a chair, a blanket, uh, and you'll be around the fire there. We have our next School of Kingdom Ministry uh, info meeting, and it's going to be immediately after church on November the 12th. On November the 12th. Um, I was at a conference this past week with some of the staff and the elders, and uh, the man who designed uh, and wrote up the curriculum for School of Kingdom Ministry, Putty Putman, was there, and he just gave a couple messages that just blew my mind because he's brilliant, uh, astrophysicist, all this stuff, and he was, uh, he was there. And so uh, if he made the curriculum, I am excited about the curriculum. And I've actually looked a little bit because we got our manuals in, our student manuals that we're going to be going through. Um, so uh, come more to the meeting to find out what's going on, how much it costs, when it's running, um, and to get all of your questions that you've ever had answered about anything <laughs> related to the School of Kingdom Ministry. We have our Samaritan's Purse, Operations Christmas Child coming uh, up. Um, we'll have our shoe boxes out um, in the lobby next week. So next week is when we're going to pick them up. And then you have uh, until November 12th to bring them back here. And then we'll take them out uh, to the, um, uh, uh, the processing center. That's the word that I'm looking for. And next week, uh, we'll be able to start signing up for a couple processing center trips that we have going on that we want you to be uh, a part of. And if you are someone who would love to do a shoebox, but you are not able to go out and buy all the things and pack the shoebox and do any of that, but if you want to give, I've had, I have uh, a couple people who came up to me and said, if somebody just wants to give, give $25 to $30 to fill up the shoebox, that they will then go and, um, and buy uh, the, all the gifts for the children present. So if, if that's you, um, please come talk to me, and I will connect you with who you need to be connected to. Um, and so that's all we have in way of, of formal announcements. Uh, I just want to uh, talk a little bit a little bit about uh, a healing night that we had here a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was on Sunday night, and I taught on healing, and then we came and we practiced praying for healing, and we had people give words on what they thought that healing was, and I, I just want to share, uh, a f like, just very briefly, um, uh, I got a, a word that somebody had pain in their neck, and so we were praying, and I prayed for Sydney Harmon, and Sydney, is your neck still doing good? Yeah, good? All right. Uh, he had his pain go, and his neck's still be doing good. I was talking to Lloyd last night, and Lloyd said that when um, 
uh, a teenager, promise, a teenager. I, I didn't pray for her. Uh, an elder didn't pray for him. Uh, somebody who's done it before didn't pray for him. It was her first time praying for healing. And she prayed for healing for Lloyd's shoulder. And Lloyd told me it was 90% after she prayed. And I'm, I, says, I'm, I'm willing to say it's like 100% now. Right? Amy just came and she gave me a testimony of somebody that she prayed for that was having migraines that hasn't had a migraine since. Like, this stuff is real and it's happening. I want you to stand with me, please. And when I came to you, my words were not implausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power so that, the, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of God, but in the, uh, in the wisdom of men, in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We don't want our faith to rely on the wisdom of men. God, our faith is not dependent on my wisdom as I preach. Uh, my, my faith is not dependent on what I might think or believe or what logical systems I want to put in place. My faith is not based on that. My faith is based on the power of Jesus, first and foremost, to save to bring the gospel of salvation, the gospel of the kingdom, this gospel that has the power to save. And then walking in lives where we're walking, Father, in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God does not exist in talk, but in power. So Lord, as we worship, through song, as we revel in your word, Lord, empower us, empower us now, empower, empower the one who came this morning, who doesn't feel like they have the strength to worship, who doesn't feel like they have the strength to praise, who came in carrying the baggage of the weak of the weight of the world who came in believing that I just I need to know that God sees me God meet them in worship meet them in worship Lord empower our voices as we sing to proclaim Lord that we might make known the manifold wisdom of God to authorities in high places Lord, we are the manifold wisdom of God. That the, the church is what God is using to declare his kingdom come. His will be done. And we're asking for that now, right now, here in faith, on earth, as it is in heaven. So, Lord, bring the worship of heaven to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. <laughs> I don't want you to think things look different this morning. I want you to think things look new. Because the Lord says, I'm doing a new thing. So just to give you some insight, I didn't fire anybody and I didn't run anybody off. It just so happened that a lot of people couldn't be here on the same Sunday. I struggled and struggled and the Lord said, all you need is the Holy Spirit. 
So this is not symbolic of what things will look like going forward as far as like a, a praise team or a band, but it's symbolic that the Lord says, I'm doing something new. And when He does something new, we should not be shaken by it. We should just go right in and say, okay, Holy Spirit, this is what you're doing. Is this different? This is new? Okay, let's, let's go with it. So today, you are the instruments. You are the instruments of God. You are the voices that will raise in praise and in power and in warfare. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much to say about our weekend, but we've been at a conference this weekend. And we kind of, we left our hotel room Friday morning. And when we got to the talk, Andy said, oh, oh no. to the windshield had been broken out of our truck. So we knew, we knew things had been stolen. Long story short, there were 12 vehicles that were broken in in the night. The thief comes in the night and he comes to steal. But uh, what's crazy is we go and we say, well, we gotta call the police. And they're like, oh, the police doesn't come for break-ins. We're like, what? Well, we had firearms. Oh, no, that's a different story. They will come if there were firearms taken. So what I want you to know is the thief, this evil, they left the money. Satan doesn't want our money now. He's way past that. He didn't take our iPads and our AirPods, so he doesn't need our intelligence. He wants our weapons. That's all he wanted was our weapons. And it wasn't until later in a in a session that the Lord said, Satan wants to take the weapons of your warfare and they are mighty. They are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want our intelligence. He wants our weapons. And right now we declare in the spirit, you cannot have our faith. You cannot have our worship. You cannot have the spirit that we operate in. So enough about him. Let's welcome King Jesus into the room. Come on, ask him to come and rip the sky. Come and rip. 
Father, we don't need another song. We don't even need another sermon. We need a move of your Holy Spirit. And that's what we're welcoming right now is a move of your Spirit. Come and do that new thing among us, O Lord. Come and do that new thing. just saying gifts for you and gifts for you and gifts for you and gifts for you. Come and heal the sick, Lord. Give us more, give us more, give us more. Not because we need it, but because you're worthy of your name, Lord. You are worthy of your name. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand when everything around me is shaken. I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus, because he's
sense in the room there's people right now saying no that's right now that's not in the past tense that's the now the rain has the rain is coming and the wind is blowing and I'm encouraging you right now anchor into the rock of Jesus Christ he'll never never let you down all right Holy Spirit you and I are going here I'm going to teach you a new song, and I want you to get your Bibles. If you can get your Bibles and go to John 1, I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to, we're going to sing something similar to that passage of Scripture. John 1, verse 29. day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world he is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am because he existed long before me I did not recognize him as the Messiah but I had been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel and then John testified this is the testimony of John I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with Holy Spirit, depending on which uh, uh, book of the Bible you're in, it could be in fire. And I saw this happen to Jesus, and so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. This is going to be a new song, and I'm going to guide us through it. And as you begin to feel like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm grabbing that. But before we go to that, without getting too theological, if you would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there, there's, a, there's the Holy Spirit that seals us until the, the day of redemption. 
the word to baptize means to submerge, to completely immerse you in his Holy Spirit. And if that's you today, I want you to go into this song saying, Lord, this is, this is my heart cry. This is what I want. I want to be submerged in you. I want to be plunged underneath that flood. I'm just going to take us and you join in when you feel like you can. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit, God. Baptize me in your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Submerge my
this weekend at our conference was that we don't need more baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to be led by the Spirit. And the Lord had already told me to give you that song. And he told me, he said, your church is not ready to be fully led by the Spirit yet because you can't skip step one. And step one is being personally and individually sovereignly ordaining a son to be submerged in the spirit to come rest on him for him to go do ministry. God, let us have that, that trinity experience as the father ordains and as the son brings us up in life. Let the spirit rest on us, Father. Father, you are good. We love you and we pray that you would just speak to us through your word. That your 
your spirit would be prompting and moving and showing us what you want to say through your holy scripture. In Jesus' name, amen. Do not be seated yet. We do our 50 weeks in the word. Each week as a uh, church, we've had about 70 or 80 people, I I think it's closer to 80, sign up that each week we read one chapter, the same chapter every day. We memorize one verse and then there's one Bible study on Wednesday nights. This week's verse was Titus chapter 2. And we're going to now, if you, if, you, uh, if you signed up to memorize it, say it out loud. If you didn't, don't feel bad that you don't, didn't memorize it. You weren't supposed to. You didn't have to. You uh, might not have even known. If you want to know what's coming up in terms of 50 weeks in the Word, there's things, uh, there's a, a sheet on the back that has, um, I believe, this month and next month. And then there's also a sheet that has all the ones that we've done throughout the year. So if you want them all in one place, they're back there. And it's Titus chapter 2, verse 12. And it says, training us to renounce ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. Titus 2.12. You may have a seat. I was... um, it was a Friday morning, I believe it was a Friday morning, and I got a text, and Amy said, hey, I want you to check this out, and she sent me a, a file, and so I listened to the file, and it was a song she wrote, and it was called Baptize Me in the Holy Spirit. So uh, I don't know if you realize that, but that song that we just sang was written by Amy. It, you, won't, you, won't, you won't hear it on K-Love yet. We'll say, maybe, maybe one day in here, right? Uh, um, but I, that was, uh, that was a, good, a good song for us to sing as we go in. This isn't really the last in our series. Our series, Faith Dogmatics, ended last week, but this is kind of like an addendum on it. It's like the last thing that I want to talk about. So I'm not giving you a new dogmatic, but um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of add on to what we did last week. Um, And uh, as a church, we believe the Nicene Creed, the Apostle Creed, we hold to all of the ancient creeds and agreed upon uh, um, theology and points of uh, of who Jesus is and what he did and how he lived. We agree with all of those, uh, those ancient creeds. And then what we did was we just kind of went through what we believe is, uh, is also true. The, the creeds are the ABCs and we're gonna get to the DEFGs and Hs knowing that we'll never get to Z because uh, in 10,000 years we're still gonna be learning things about Jesus. So here's what we went over the last nine weeks, that we believe that the world is a supernatural place, that there is a natural realm that we see in a, a, war, a realm that is not natural, that we call supernatural, that we do not see, but things that happen there affect here, and things that have happened here affect there, and uh, so we believe that we can pray things like, Uh, let the realm that we don't see work itself out in the realm that we do see when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Uh, We believe that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God with his earthly ministry and we wait its fulfillment now. 
We believe that Jesus displayed the good news of the kingdom by teaching with authority, casting out demons, and healing the sick. Those were the signs of the kingdom that the word gives us. We talk about identity, uh, or we're a continuationist church uh, that believes that we have the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus' miracles. So all spiritual gifts are for the church today. Uh, we root ourselves in what God says about our identity to live, us, to live out the kingdom of God on earth. We believe that every believer is called to walk in delegated authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, so now you go. Right? And so Jesus is, is presupposing that his authority is what drives us as we go. As Faith Church pursues the spiritual gifts, we uh, follow the command of the Bible to especially desire the gift of prophecy. We believe that divine healing is a sign of the kingdom, and so we actively pray for physical, emotional, and spiritual healing. That it's a biblical command to the people of God. There's some scripture references. And last week I talked about a spiritual warfare mindset and how we actively war against the enemy and Satan's kingdom and helping people find freedom through the casting out of demons and inner healing. And this is what we've been going through. So each of those points was a message that you can catch up with online if you missed any of them or have any questions about them. And this morning, we're just going to continue in Ephesians 6 and we're going to talk about being armored. And I want to tell you about a place that I go where a lot of weirdos that I've been, I don't go routinely, but a lot of weirdos go there. And if you were here last week, you know I don't necessarily use weirdo in a pejorative sense, like it's an insult. So if I say where I've been, where there's weirdos, and you're like, I like going to those, that's fine. That's great for you. It's just not my cup of tea. And I'm not saying anything against you. Like, because people might say, like, wow, why do you yell at a TV with a football game on? I'd be like, that's just me. I like to do that. But have you ever been to a Renaissance festival? <laughs> I, went to, I went to one Renaissance festival, just one back in California. And there's people, and they're walking around, and they're holding goblets. And look, I'm not, look, I'm not opposed to, like, just eating turkey legs and sausage off of a stick. Like, I'm not opposed to that, right? But it, it, it gets weird sometimes, and there's, there's these people, and, you know, they, they work IT during the week, and they dress up in robes on the weekend, and they're, they're, um, they're, there's some people I've seen, and they're just wearing, like, these full replica armor suits, and I just think, man, I was, in, so when I went to was in California, it's like, it's, it's a hot day, and it's like 80 degrees. That's hot there. Uh, 80 degrees, 85 degrees. And I'm just thinking, why? <laughs> like, you th like, seriously, do you think Dave, who works at a bank, is going to pick up a broadsword and just sideswipe you? <laughs> like, what's going, like, there must be sweat. I don't, I don't want to, like, I just don't get it. Because there's not a, the threat of a real attack at a Renaissance festival. There's, there's not. Right? But, but when we look in Ephesians chapter 6, Jesus tells us, you wear your armor. Right? Because there is a threat of real attack. Right? And maybe it might come from Dave who works at the bank taking a broadsword to you. But what, what, uh, what Paul says is it's not flesh and blood, but it's fiery darts. There's these things, and so, so we're not going to walk around with the physical armor, but if you choose to do so, I'll say, I know that person, and they're weird, 
And I'm weird too, just, but we're just weird in different ways so we can get along. But we, we walk around like this, covered in armor. Like that's, that's the life of the Christian. And so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. And if you read, want to read along with me, I'm going to read verses 10. And I'm going to read through the first half of verse 18. And here's what it says. And we went through the first half last week. We're going through the second half this week. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We talked last week just briefly about a warfare worldview, that we're all actively engaged in spiritual warfare, and we may not know it, but it's happening all the time, right? That our spiritual disciplines are warfare, so when we're reading the Bible, having conversation with God, when we're fasting, when we're walking through forgiveness, repentance, denying ourselves, living in purity, all of these good things, we're actively warring against Satan, because Satan doesn't want us to do those things, and so when we do those things, it's like we're spitting in the face of the enemy. Right? Your relationships involve spiritual warfare. Husbands and wives have been involved in spiritual warfare against each other since Genesis chapter 3. And we say, we're just having a little issue right now. We're having some problems. No, you're in spiritual warfare. Parent and child, coworker, school, person who cuts you off. All of these relationships involve spiritual warfare. <clears throat> There's also specific warfare related to each person. Somebody might be more prone to wrestle with pride or lust, gossip, suicidal thoughts, insecurity, doubt, fear, hate, racism, sexism, all, sexism, all of these things that we might be more prone as individuals to struggle with and to wrestle with. It's warfare. And look, we acknowledge that these are outside of, they can be outside of a person from spiritual entities that attack or uh, entities that drive culture. And I talked about that a little bit just very briefly last week about uh, the, the powers and the principalities in the heavenly realms that drive certain aspects of culture like greed and, and lust and depravity. Right. And finally, we, we said that uh, they can be attacks from outside, but they can also be attacks from inside or within what we call and the Bible calls demonization. And so we are on the, the active, uh, we, are, we have that spiritual, uh, that warfare worldview active in our minds as we live our daily lives. And then, so that's what Paul says in the beginning of Ephesians chapter six in this passage that I read. He says, look, be strong in the Lord, not your own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. Put on the whole armor of God, 
that you, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So the devil has schemes. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians also that there are schemes of the devil. And we're not supposed to be ignorant of his schemes or of his designs. So we know what we're getting into when we get into it because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And then he goes on to list uh, this hierarchy of spiritual, evil spiritual entities between uh, rulers and authorities, cosmic powers, and other places he adds uh, dominions and thrones in them, in Colossians. And he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And after you've done that, to withstand evil, keep standing firm. It's not something that you do once and you're good. But he says, continue to stand firm in it. And the first thing he says is get on your belt. See, the belt kind of holds all together, all the armor. And if you're looking at a Roman soldier, uh, a soldier in that time, you're not going to notice their belt first. So it might seem insignificant, but it's not there. I'm wearing a belt right now. You don't see it. You probably won't see it. But if it wasn't there, you would know. (laughs) You would know the color of what's going on underneath. So the belt kind of holds everything together. The breastplate kind of rests on the belt. The sword's attached to the belt. All of these things are true about the belt, that it is this centerpiece of what is happening uh, in, this, in warfare, and the belt of truth given to us is the written word of God, because Jesus says, I want them to know your truth, and your word is truth. He says, look, what you say, or he says, what has been given to us, the logos, which is Jesus, which is used to both describe Jesus and the scripture in scripture, that those two combined together give us all truth. Right, that's when we think about how we have to think about reading the Bible is that we don't simply think about it like we're just gonna read some words on a page, but because the logos of scripture and the logos of Jesus are, are interchangeably used sometimes in scripture, we go to the scripture to meet with the person of Jesus. And so if we looked at the word and we, instead of, uh, you know, we're doing our Bible plans, our reading plans, or we haven't picked it up in two weeks and we're like, oh, I need to do this. First of all, get over the spiritual warfare, win the battle, and open the Bible. And then, wherever you're at, whether you're in Psalms or Lamentations or Philippians or Zephaniah, you can meet with the person of Jesus in the Word of God. In his book, Dressed to Kill, here's what Richard Renner wrote. He says, when you ignore the Word of God and cease to apply it to your life on a daily basis... You have willfully chosen, willfully chosen to let your spiritual life come apart at the seams. Right? We have to be ready for the battle. So a couple years ago, at the beginning of 2020, um, I said, okay, before my birthday, I want to run a half marathon. And I'd been to the gym, and I did cardio for like 20 minutes, but I'm like, I'm going to run a half marathon. And so I started this plan and this program. And I got to the point where I was, uh, the, my, uh, one of my last big runs I did, I can't remember if I did seven or eight miles. 
And I did it at a, at a good pace. I did it in the eight-minute pace, which for me was outstanding. I'm running all around Statesville. And, and, and then COVID hit, and the half marathon that I was going to sign up for got canceled because COVID was probably going to be really dangerous to a bunch of healthy people running outside, right? And so, and so it got canceled, and then I lost motivation. I had another friend who had been training kind of at the, the uh, it was a couple, and they were training at the same, same time as me. They're like, we're just going to run 13 miles around town. And I was like, I can't, that's, that's not in me. Like, I need the race, not because I thought I was going to win, but I wanted to, and so I just stopped running, and I gave up, and, I, like, it never happened. And then, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was like, I got, I got to start running again. I have to start getting in shape again, right? And, uh, and you know what I didn't do? I didn't just go out and run eight miles at an eight-minute and 30-second pace. I, I couldn't, first of all, and then I probably would have died, <laughs> right? Right? My neighbors would have found me on the side of the road, and they're like, what happened to Charles? He tried to run. <laughs> so I had to start at the beginning. I got back, and I got back, and I got back, and I can run a few miles now. It's hard still, but this is what, like, being in the Word is like, it has to be a constant training, a constant thing, because when the battle comes, you don't want to be caught flabby and out of shape, because if you're going to try to run a marathon in a battle against the enemy, he's going to outlast you unless you have on this belt of truth that's been sitting there the whole time. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It says to dwell. Let it take up residence there. Let it live there. At the conference, there was a guy, his name was Bobby Connors, and I never heard him before, but when he started to talk, uh, it was like he could have just walked off a tractor, taken the hayseed out of his mouth, and gotten up on stage to preach. That, uh, and, uh, and yet, when he talked, he would say two sentences of what he wanted to say, and then he would just quote two scripture. Like, just off the top of the head, no notes. And then he'd say two sentences, and he'd throw out two more Scripture. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, that is impressive. Like there's a deep well of knowledge. Like the word is dwelling in there. And he said, take up residence in there. Let the word take up residence in your mind as you read, study, and memorize scripture. Be tethered to the world word. Let it be the thing that holds up everything else. Wear the belt of truth. And then he continues on and he says, and so you'll have to also, uh, you've already put on the breastplate of righteousness and this is the center of the armor. When you looked at a soldier, you saw two things. You saw their shield and you saw their breastplate. You wouldn't notice the breast the, or the belt, but you would notice the breastplate. A lot of times there, especially for the officers, there would be ornate designs on them. And, and you could see your status and your rank by the, the, the design on your breastplate. These are the ones that would shine, that could shine, and the sun could gleam off of them as warriors going into battle, going against their enemies. The, 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 
their enemies would see the sun shining on the breastplates. And the breastplate would cover uh, and protect the trunk of the vital organs, trunk of the body, and protects the vital organs. Right? It's, it's covering some of the more important parts of who you are. And it's the breastplate of righteousness. But Paul didn't necessarily come up with this just on his own. But in Isaiah chapter 59, in Isaiah chapter 59, it's talking about God going to war against his enemies. Uh, and, and here's what it says in verse 17. It says that God puts on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and he wrapped himself in zeal as a, as a cloak. And then it continues on and it says, and he will rise like the sun in the west and his glory will shine. So in the Old Testament, we have this picture of God, the one that is wearing, that he's the one who wears the breastplate of righteousness. He's the one that has this helmet of salvation. And then in Paul's New Testament, we are the ones. We are the ones that have the breastplate now and this helmet. And so what happened to take us from only God wearing the breastplate to now us wearing the breastplate? Jesus. Jesus happened. Right, that, that he takes our sin and he gives us righteousness. He imputes his righteousness to us. He gives it to us. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Right? And so this transfer happens through Jesus' life and his death, his resurrection and his ascension. And when that happens, the breastplate goes from God to us. Because God's not the only one fighting the battle for the kingdom of God now. We are. And so Jesus, it's like he places this onto us. We wear the blessed plate of righteousness. Righteousness means that right now, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have believed in that gospel that saves us, right, that he lived and died, he rose again, he ascended to the Father all so that we could be reconciled back to him, that our sins would be forgiven, and he gives us eternal life, then we stand right now and in the future, blameless and sinless before God. Man, I read these passages. I read these passages like in Hebrews where it says that now we, the veil's been torn and ripped uh, open and we now walk through it into the presence of God. And I think, yeah, but does he know? Does he know who he's allowing in there? Did he see what happened a couple hours ago? Did he see what happened the other day? Did he see the outburst of anger? Did he see the pride swell up? Did he see all of these things? Because I think if he did, he might close the curtain back up when I come to it. But no, it was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and Jesus created in his flesh a more perfect way to enter into the holy of holies because if you are in him, you are blameless and sinless in his eyes. He wants to continue to, like you are standing in legal status as righteous and holy, and he wants to continue to just take surgical tools like scalpels and lasers to cut out those pieces that still need to be sanctified and refined, but the curtain's open for you. 
Clinton E. Arnold said in his exegetical commentary on the New Testament, the gift of righteousness they, Christians, received renders them free from all guilt on the day that they will eventually stand before God in the end time judgment. But right now, we live in freedom of that already realized verdict. And the enemy's going to attack that over and over and over again. He's going to attack your identity. You are not righteous. You are not who God says you are. He'll do, he'll do so where you're already prone to be weak. So if you already struggle with insecurity, he'll attack that insecurity. If you had more faith, God would love you more. And so you become insecure in your faith. If you doubt, he'll say, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And what about this? But we have the breastplate on. How do we keep our breastplate of righteousness on to ensure that we walk in our identity? One way is that we memorize scripture. Because the Bible tells you exactly who you are. The Bible tells you exactly how God sees you and exactly the power that he has given you. And the word gives us what we need to remember, what Jesus did. So we need to know the word. Get it ingrained in you. Read it, listen to it, memorize it. Get it ingrained in you. The belt, the breastplate sitting on it. Paul jumps then now to the shoes. And as for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Shoes were a vital piece of equipment. Most shoes given the track, uh, most shoes to give traction the ability to stand firm, they would have spikes from one to three inches on the bottom of the shoe. Uh, if you watch a, a football game or a baseball game, if it gets especially muddy or difficult, they'll always put longer cleats in because the longer the cleat, the more traction that they have. And these soldiers, they would have these, uh, these long spikes and cleats so they would stick their feet in the ground so when the enemy came, they had uh, something rooting them there. And then so also if the enemy comes and you have a three-inch spike on your shoe and they're rushing at you, I can lift it up and then say, take that spike to the shin. That hurts. You've never played shortstop and taken a spike to the shin. It hurts. Because these spikes could be used as an offensive weapon as well. Right? We're supposed to be ready to fight the battle. These shoes are not shoes of peace. They are shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace. So the power to be ready comes from the gospel of peace. So to be ready, we have to be living our lives in a place of godly Peace. When our lives are at peace, we can eat more easily withstand the assault of the enemy. I don't know, a while back, I'd, I'd had a long, rough day at work, and I went home, and I didn't immediately go in, because my mind was like everywhere, right? My mind is just, should I have said this? Should I have done this? It's just running a mile a minute. And so what I, what I did was um, I, ha I told you, I, I played disc golf, so I just took like plastic circles. It seems so foolish when you just think about it, break it down to its level. I took plastic circles and threw them at a metal cage 
just across my lawn. It's, you know, it's 100 feet. It's good practice. I'm just throwing it. And I didn't notice, but my, uh, my daughter, or my son, I forget which one, told my wife, Daddy's out there playing disc golf. He must have had a long day at work. <laughs> because if I had went in straight from work, and one of them wants to talk to me, it's like, just leave me alone. Like, what did we do? You just, you're existing right now. <laughs> and so I'm out there, and, and I'm just throwing, and I'm like, all right, God, just settle me down. All right, God, and I'm walking over, picking him up, walking back. Just settle me down. Just settle me down. And I'm not saying that, that you have to take up disc golf, but I'm saying that you, you have to have something like that. You have to have something like that that can, that can bring you to that, to that place where you can talk to God and find your peace. Alan, I was talking to Alan uh, Bradshaw, is, uh, he's one of the leaders here. He tells me he gets it from mowing lawns. He just puts his headphones in and he says, God speaks to me when I mow lawns. You have to have that thing because if you don't have that thing, whether it's that or maybe, maybe you're super spiritual and you're like, disc golf? I go into my prayer closet, pastor. <laughs> right? right? I'm praying while I'm doing it. But. but you have to have those things because if you don't have a healthy way to bring your mind focused back on the gospel of peace to make you ready to fight the battles, then you'll turn to alcohol and pornography and drugs and medication, and you'll turn to all of these different things to get to give you what you should be getting from Jesus. Right, so men, you're gonna, you might feel the need to get alcohol. You might feel the need to open your computer in the middle of the night. You find, right? Whatever you're looking for to find peace in, transfer that to God and the gospel. What's the gospel of peace is that we are broken people and God has made peace through the blood of his cross and he's reconciling all things to himself. Those are the shoes that we wear. How do we stay ready for battle with the peace of God? We become people of prayer. Don't be anxious about anything. Easy for you to say, Paul. Actually, probably wasn't. <laughs> it's like, I'm in a shipwreck. Oh, I'm not really anxious right now. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, asking God with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Tell God what you want, what you're feeling, what you need. Tell him all that. And, and then don't just leave, but like listen. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You want peace? Become a person of prayer. Because that praying and supplication guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. We wear shoes and shields and belts, or shoes and breastplates and belts, and then we get our shield. These shields were big shields that a soldier could fully kneel behind in battle, and they would line up their shields together to advance. The movie Troy has a scene of that where all the shields are there and there's arrows raining down and they're just going forward, right? These, these shields would clip to their belt. That's how they would carry them when they weren't walking. See, the shield of faith is directly tied to the belt of truth again. 
Like, because everything begins with that truth and God's word is truth. So we stay tethered to that. But we have this shield that helps our faith grow. And faith is not psychological or logical certainty in God or a certain belief, right? It's not just getting your place to where you can believe in a certain amount. Like if we're doing a, a scale of percentage uh, of a zero to 100%, like if you don't get to, like I believe at 62%, you don't hit some magical level of faith that's like, then this can happen now. Or, or if, I just, if I get to 84% faith, then when I pray for somebody, there'll be healing. If I just get to this certain level of faith, then I could start to do the things that Jesus tells me to do. Because I have news for you. You're never going to get to 100%. You're just not. Right? But it's not about believing or, or getting into this logical place. Not that knowing, uh, not, not that having those beliefs and that logic can be bad. I'm not against that. I read a lot. So I'm not against the gaining of knowledge to grow your faith. But, but if you think that you have to have a certain level of knowledge or sophistication or understanding before you can move in the power and the authority that God's given you, you are sorely mistaken. Faith is just our believing loyalty towards God, is our allegiance to God as, as the, the creator of all things. It's our allegiance to Jesus as our Savior. It's the recognition of the Holy Spirit in us to walk by that faith. How much do I have to have? How much faith do I have? Like how much is enough to be considered this believing loyalty? Enough for you to take the next step. That's all. So there's some people who are like, I would love to believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but I, I just don't know if I can, the net, the, to have enough faith to believe in Jesus is just to take the next step towards him. Well, I've known him for so long, but I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to read the Bible. How do I learn this? How do I do this? I have to have all this information. No, you just need to say, God, you are worth it, so I'm going to take the next step. Amen. Whatever that is. Right? We think that we have to go on this, on this scale of faith, if we're still keeping that. It, we think that we have to go from zero to 100, like the day after we're saved. And so people have been sitting in church for 10, 15 years, and they still feel they're like at 3%, and they think they're failures. And yet Jesus is just saying, let's take the next step. Let's take the next step. It's committing to a course of action, even in the midst of uncertainty. But I don't know what's going to happen if I take that next step. Well, I'd like to have everything planned out. I, I want to put it on a spreadsheet, like step one is this and step two is this. And if I do this, then this is going to happen. And so I want that before I take, no, Go. And some of us on the other side were like, I don't care. I'll just do it. And God's like, wait, count the cost. Like, count the cost. Like, I'm just like, let's go. She's like, stop. Count the cost. But faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but the convictions of things not seen. You might not know where the same, the next step is, but count the cost and then go. What's it going to cost me to pray for this person? What's it going to cost me to get up 20 minutes early to read my Bible and have a time of conversation with God? What's it going to 
take? What am I going to do? I don't know what's going to happen in my life. I, I think that maybe I'll grow, but I'm not sure. Just go. Just do it. Walk in the shield of faith. And the shield of faith, because as you do that, as you take that next step, what are you doing? You're advancing against the enemy. That's what you're doing. And so the enemy, when he sees you advancing, Paul says that he's going to get these fiery darts and he's going to let them go right at you and they're going to be flinging themselves at you. And you're like, nope, I got that one. Nope, I got that one. And maybe you let your shield down a little bit and you're afraid of letting your shield down. And a fiery dart comes in, it's coming right at you, but then it just bounces off your breastplate. And it might leave a bruise. And you get your shield back up so next time you extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. That's the shield of faith. Right? And all of these things flow out of faith. Faith. Right? We have salvation by faith because it's by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We are salvation by faith. We battle by faith, that we do not war against flesh and blood. You don't see the battle, but you can be assured that the battle can be won. We please God by faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Right? We walk by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. So if you're sitting here and you're wanting to see everything in this, in this physical space that says this is exactly what's going to happen, Paul says stop looking like that and look with your eyes of faith because that's how you're going to walk. We pray by faith. Jesus answered them and said, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. We pray in faith. We heal in faith. Because the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he forgives him sins, it will be forgiven for him. Look, these fiery darts are to stop you from advancing. And Satan will do whatever he can. And he will not fight fair. He'll get you from the tree where you can't see him. He'll hide in the dark behind the corners and pop out without you seeing him. Because he's protecting these ever-shrinking borders. The shield protects us. And Satan will try to convince you that you don't have enough faith. They used to say that, that these Roman soldiers would, would soak their shields in water if they knew that the enemy was going to use fiery darts. They would soak them in water so that when it hit, the water would help put out those fiery darts. And then we put on the helmet of salvation. You can't function without a head. It's scientifically proven. <laughs> I can't cite the specific study. Like, I can't give you the peer-reviewed, headless study. But I'm just saying, if you don't have a head, you can't function. And Christ is the head of the church. Because he's the one who won us salvation with his life and death and resurrection. And so you can function because you have a head. You can walk in the kingdom of God because Christ is our head. It says that in Ephesians chapter 1, that he is the head, we are the body. 
And our salvation gives us right standing with God, the authority of Christ, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are all things that Jesus says are given to us because of what he's done for us. We are made righteous and whole and new. He gives us authority and he tells, him, he tells the, the disciples, he said, look, it's better that if I go because then I'll send the comforter to you. And these, great, and these works that I do, you'll do, and you'll do even greater things. So he's saying the gifts are coming to you. How do we put on salvation? Because it says that we put on the helmet of salvation. Putting on salvation means to appropriate one's new identity in Christ, which gives believers power for deliverance from the supernatural enemies on the basis of their union with the resurrected and exalted Lord. I love reading Clinton Arnold. If you want to read somebody really good, read Clinton Arnold on on these things. He's saying, you take on your new identity And because you're united from Christ, you can battle against these entities that Paul is talking about, these rulers, these authorities. And so the helmet of salvation also conveys assurance of future salvation because of this union with Christ. We're united with Christ in it because he's the head. But that's overshadowed by the present dimension that Paul so strongly emphasizes. He's saying, yes, there's a future thing, but it's really happening right now. Salvation gives you the mind of Christ. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord is to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Use your helmet. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, right? This is the passage that Amy quoted, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty for the breaking down of strongholds, and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ, and we take captive every thought to obey Christ. So the thoughts that you have that are not Christ, you are supposed to capture them, take them captive, and make them obey Jesus. Amen. How do you do that? You recognize, rebuke, and replace. I'll, I'll throw this out here every few months. How do you recognize, rebuke, and replace? You identify the lie you're being told. You're worthless. You're worth nothing. That is not from you, God. And I recognize that that is not from you, and it is a fiery dart of the enemy. And then you rebuke the lie and the source of lie. So I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus, and I rebuke Satan trying to give me that thought through one of his little minions. I rebuke everything to do with it. And then you replace it with the word of God. Find truth opposed to the lie in Scripture, and then speak that truth out loud. You should do all of this out loud, but especially speak the truth. You're worthless. You're nothing. Nobody could love you. I rebuke that thought in the name of Jesus because it is a lie from Satan. I recognize it as a lie from Satan. I rebuke it in the name of Jesus, and I tell that thought to go, and I tell anything bringing that thought to go, and I, re- I replace it with the truth that I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I am workmanship. I am, I am fine, detailed art created by the master. Yes. 
and then you go on with your day. And then five minutes later, you might have to do it again. So we have all the armor, we have everything on, and then he gives us the weapon, he gives us the sword, the word of, he says, and take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God in this passage is not the Bible or scripture. It's not to describe the Bible or scripture in the New Testament, the words used are logos, which I said, and graphi. And graphi is exclusively used for Old Testament scriptures. So when Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter three um, that uh, the word of God is living and active, he says the graphi of God is living and active. So the word here used for the sword of the spirit is rhema. And rhema means an uttered or spoken word. So it's a word that God speaks to us. It could be a word that God speaks to us in the moment to give us what we need to go on the offensive against the, 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 uh, the spiritual powers that we're fighting against. He gives us the words that we need. Or it's when we say words out loud that contain the truth of God. So when we're rebuking thoughts and replacing them with the word, we are using the sword of the spirit against the the thoughts that are coming at us like fiery darts. Right? It's like they're coming at us and we say, nope, got this. If you want to be really weird, every time you have a thought, that's what you can do. Just be like walking, walking down the hallway. Oh, I had another thought they had to rebuke. I don't know. <laughs> Look, it's it's the it's the main offense offensive weapon we're given. Again, it hangs on the belt. It's tied to truth, but it's the spoken, uttered word of God. Most of the time, look, most of the time in the New Testament, if you go to look up all these verses about the word of God and what it is and what it does for you, Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. That, that's, that's logos or graphy. It's, it's the word. 2 Timothy 3.16, I just said, that's like the written word. But most of the other time, if you were to look up the Greek New Testament and it says the word of God, it uses the word rhema. It's like we're supposed to be dependent on the spoken and uttered words from God to us. Like, like yes, the Bible speaks and that's the main place where he's gonna speak. I talked about that when we talked about prophecy, but that, that he speaks through that, but there's this, this need for us to know and hear the voice of God. So most of the time you see it, it's rhema. The sword of the spirit is rhema. It's the rhema word of God. And so when Satan comes at you, you go on the attack with the word, just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter four. Right, Satan comes. Hey, I'll give you, uh, you want some food? You can make the stones bread. Nope, it's written. Hey, you see all these kingdoms? I'm going to give them to you. Nope, it's written. Just bow down and worship me and everything. Nope, it's written. And so Jesus goes to battle with the spoken word. He's, He's battling using scripture spoken out loud against Satan. Use your voice. Look, 
I've said this a couple times, but I'll say it again. I think that you should do probably 90% of your praying out loud. I don't mean it has to be loud, but I think 90% of your praying should be done out loud. What's that 10%? When you're around people and you're rebuking them? No. When you're around people and, and you're in a situation and you're like, God, what do you want me to do here? God, what do you want me to do here? Like you don't want to be having a difficult conversation with somebody and you're just like, God, what do you want me to do here? What do you want? What do you mean? No, no. <laughs> no. But I think 90% of your prayers should be out loud and any spiritual warfare prayer should always be done out loud. Always be done out loud. Right, because there's power in speaking something out loud. I'm not saying that we create things, but I'm saying there's power in speaking truth out loud into people and situations and things that you're dealing with. Jesus does it. When he goes to raise Lazarus, it says they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of people standing around me so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus spoke out loud so that faith would be released over the people who heard his words. I, Jesus starts praying out loud. When Jesus starts praying out loud, everybody's probably listening, and he says, God, I thank you that you hear me. And God's like, yeah, that's what we got going on here. It's like, no, I didn't say it for me. I said it so that they would believe. And I'm gonna raise this man from the dead and so that they know that me and you, that we talk. So they know that me and you have this thing together. Jesus spoke it out loud so that other people would have faith. And Paul ends this with this praying, with this conversation with God that we pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. We keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints with all your armor on, fastened tightly. You're ready to withstand the schemes of the devil. And now Paul says, pray. You know, I I don't really use that word pray because it has this this connotation with us, but we have a conversation with God. We're praying all times in the Spirit. Look, this means to be conscious of and led by the Spirit in your prayer. This is that anti-vomit prayer where you just say, God, here's all my stuff, blah, 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 peace out, thanks. But it's having the conversation where you say, God, this, This is what I want. This is what I'm asking for. Is there anything you want to say to me? Is there anything that the Spirit, what is is the Spirit, have you ever asked in prayer, what does the Spirit want me to pray for right now? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to pray for right now? Because then maybe, look, lists aren't bad. I have lists, like maybe you'll get off your list and then actually connect with the heart of the Father in that moment. This, this is listening to the Spirit so he can guide you. And don't look at this and think that praying in the Spirit is praying in tongues. It can mean that, but it's not limited to that. This weekend, somebody said it just so succinctly and perfectly. If God wanted to say here, pray in tongues, he would have said pray in tongues. But he said pray in the Spirit. And other times he says he says, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He doesn't say don't forbid praying in the Spirit. They're two different things. 
and it can include tongues, but it's this consciousness of what Jesus wants to do through you, about where he wants to lead you in prayer, where he wants to take you in that moment so that you're connecting with the heart of Jesus. And this is how we live our lives. So to recap, with the belt, we are tethered to the written word of God. With the breastplate, we know our identity. It protects us. The shoes, we, be, we, we are ready. We're living in the peace of the gospel. We're people who look around and say, okay, God, where do you want my feet to take me now? Because I'm ready. The shield, we walk in faith, advancing against the enemy. The helmet, we're protecting our mind. We're rebuking our thoughts. The sword, we're learning God's voice for the moment, the rhema word of God that he uses for us to, to tackle whatever's in front of us at that moment. And then we want to be connected to God in this conversation. This is what Paul is. This is, this is normal life for Paul. So we walk around with that armor on. All the time. If you say things like, I put my armor every time I wake up in the morning, I'm asking why you ever took it off. Like, I want to sleep in it. I want it to clank as I'm rolling over. Right? So it won't, it'll be the clanking that wakes my wife up, not my snoring, right? It's, <laughs> it's clanking. It's there. Because... Some of you have nightmares and you need to be protected at night with the helmet of salvation. Amen. You need the sword of the spirit because those dreams and nightmares and terrors are fiery darts from the evil one. Are you protected? Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Is he the one who has bought you salvation, who has made you righteous, who has made you fit to wear it, right? It's, it's funny, there's this picture of of uh, David when he's going to go fight Goliath, and he's not. They, they try to give him the king's armor, right? But David's so small it doesn't fit him. He's a young kid, doesn't fit him. It's too big for him. But now, we're big enough for the king's armor because of Jesus in you. You can hold the weight of the king's armor. You don't have to go into battle unprotected. It worked out well for David. It's probably not going to work out well for you. Is your armor loose? Are there places in your life where you're saying, I'm having this struggle and I feel like Satan's attacking me in this place, in this place of identity? Or his fiery darts just seem to be getting through, so maybe there's something amiss with my shield. Is your armor loose? You have to recognize this. Start to shore it up, get in the word, figure out, talk to people, get prayer, get the armor tightened. And you might be sitting here and you're like, man, I feel like my armor is on all of the time except when I go here. My armor's on at work and it's at church, but when I go home, man, it just doesn't feel like it's on. Or it's the opposite. At home, I'm good. Church, I feel, I feel secure there. But my workplace is a dark place, and I feel like I go there, and my mind just comes in turmoil, like the, like the helmet needs to be refitted. And re what circumstances do you most need your armor? You have to learn to recognize that. 
you have to learn to understand that. All right. Father, what do you want to do right now? Amen. I'm going to have you come up, and we're just going to we're going to sing a song. Uh, if you want prayer during this time, we're just going to reflect for a minute. We're just going to use this time of song to to think about these questions. Think about what God was saying to you as I was speaking to you. Because uh, listen to His voice, because it's so much better than mine. Right? Listen to His voice and think about these things. And if you want prayer for anything, I'm going to have you come up. Um, and I'm going to, um, so I'm going to tell you something uh, that's going to be the, the norm for the next couple months. Uh, God really impressed upon me. At this conference that we were at, we were, we were talking, uh, we were listening to talks and there's talks about the prophetic and, and being connected to God um, and how that drives it. Um, until January, I'm not going to pray for anybody publicly or give any public prophetic words. Okay? Um, when you begin to, to walk in the power of God, and I'm not saying that as I walk in the power of God, I'm saying that as you walk in the power of God as well. Like it is there for you. And if you've been here long enough, you know that I've taught you that. I've tried to lead you in that. But sometimes your relationship with God can become transactional. And I find myself too many times saying, leaving places if somebody wasn't healed or something didn't come out of somebody, I leave and I say, God, if I just would have prayed more, then, then maybe something would have been good. And I, I'd like to do that self-assessment, but I leave there. And then so I find myself praying and wanting to commune with God just so that something will happen when I pray just so that, right? It becomes a transaction between God and myself. And, and I've, I've worked in, in spaces where God has spoken to me and then I've spoken that out over other people, these places of prophecy. I've, I've, I've worked enough in that to know God's voice. But sometimes when I, I don't get something like 100% or I leave here and I'm missing something, then I say, God, I, I, want, I want you to speak through me more instead of saying, God, I want you more. God, I just want you. I just want you. Like all that good stuff comes. Like the, the more that you're entwined in the branch, the more that you are, are grafted in, like that stuff comes. And I, I, I have, no, like I'm not doubting my ability to hear. I've seen too many good things happen from myself and from people here in this church to know that God's voice can be clear for us. But I just felt like God said, it's become too transactional. You need me, you don't, you, you, yes, you know, you know about power, you know about authority, you know about the prophetic, you know about all that stuff, but you need me. And so I'm just gonna spend the next couple months just being me and God. 
And so if you need prayer, every week we have a couple people on the ministry team. And this morning, Pam and Michael are on the ministry team. You go to them. If you come to me, I'll say, go to them. Right? There's nothing, look, guys, there's nothing special about me. I mean, I'm smart, I'm good looking, I'm, no, there's, 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 <laughs> there's nothing, there's nothing special about me that is not true of you also. The one thing about these conferences is that everybody, everybody wants a word from the speaker. You go to a, you go to a conference about prophecy and everybody wants a word from the speaker. And that's not bad. I've had words given to me by speakers that have, that have done things for me. Man, some of the, the words that I've gotten that have hit me, like the, the, I, the, I didn't get a word from any speaker this week, but I had a man come up to me who was on the prophetic team and he said, here's the word that I see from you. And he gave me this word and he's telling me what I'm doing. I'm like, yeah, that's good. His name's Les. I don't remember his last name. I remember Les. So, so don't think that you're getting slighted by going to a ministry team. But I need, to, I need to, to keep working on this. And so thank you for the grace to do that and to be able to be open about that and you guys not having a vote about voting me out next week because I have to work on this. Would you stand with me? Father, I ask this morning that all around the room, right now, as my words go over, that your spirit would be active, Lord. That your spirit would be moving. Father, right now, I pray that we would stand strong and that we would know. Father, if you want to give us a physical sensation, give us a physical sensation of a belt tightening on us, of a breastplate being placed on us as shoes given for us that are making us want to go, that we just want to go, right? That we, that we have the shield connected to our arm, that we feel the helmet of salvation being affixed tightly onto our heads and that the sword of the spirit just lives in our hands as we speak to you father let that be done for us now in the name of jesus christ amen
things with the armor on, Lord. When we see those fiery darts, Lord, we have the shield. When our identity is attack, attacked, we have the breastplate. We become these people who wield the spoken word of God with the written word of God. And we attack. And we shrink the borders of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great rest of your Sunday. We'll do it again soon. <laughs>